Did you know that more than 70% of America's emission-free power comes from nuclear energy? Speaking of nuclear energy, do you know why the Mars Curiosity rover is powered by nuclear energy? I'd like to see a Tesla in ludicrous mode take on a Mars rover in the quarter mile. What's up everybody, Gen X Dividend Investor here. Today in my 20th stock reveal video, I'll be doing a deep analysis of Duke Energy, ticker DUK, my sixth largest dividend stock by portfolio value of the 25 I own. That means after this, I only have five stocks to go. And if you're somebody who likes this video or Duke Energy, then energize that like button as a thank you to me for making this extensive and free deep analysis video. Now I've not offered this yet, but since it's the new year and I'm feeling spunky, I want to offer something to you for $499. That's right, these aren't prices you're going to see again anytime soon. And if you act now, I'm going to chop off $499 off that price. You heard me right. For a limited time of forever, I'm going to let you join the Dividend Discord server I'm running for a low, low price of zero. You get direct access to me and around 500 dividend investors, and our numbers are growing all the time. Discord's a free chat server on the internet. You can access it either with your browser or with a smartphone app, or you can download a thick client for your computer from www.discord.com. It's easy just to click the link in the description of this video or download the smartphone app and type in KKSR5FY into the invite field. We have all kinds of experienced investors in this new chat server, including multiple people who became millionaires through investing. And we have people who have never invested and are just interested to learn. We have people on the server that are teenagers all the way to people in their 70s. On a daily basis, people are sharing useful investing articles and videos they've come across. We have all sorts of interests in there. So beyond dividend discussions, we have separate areas for people who like to talk about Tesla, cryptocurrency, real estate investing, etc. You can find tips on things people have learned while using Robinhood or M1 and a slew of other information that is useful to know if you are or want to become an investor. We also have areas to talk about movies and TV, politics, general news, sports, health and fitness, and others. Most people only use text, but a few people jump into the voice channel to chat. The one common thread is that they're all interested in dividend investing. So if you want to join and just lurk or are also interested in chatting, then jump on in and be an OG member of this awesome new community. Of course, none of the information should be taken as financial advice that you act on without doing your own research. Remember, don't listen to some random person on the internet without digging deeper. Finally, please feel free to check out the timestamps in the description below if you want to jump straight to my portfolio, as well as to see the screenshots of the Travelers and Goldman Sachs dividend checks I received after I released my Realty Income video last week. Okay, Duke Energy Corporation is a $66 billion market cap, $23 billion revenue, 29,000 employee American electric power holding company in the United States with assets in Canada. They are the largest electric utility in the USA and serve almost 8 million customers, primarily in the Southeast and Midwest regions of the US. 42% of Duke's energy generation capacity is from natural gas and fuel oil, 33% is from coal, 18% is nuclear, and 7% is from hydro and solar. This year they should own or contract around 6,000 megawatts of wind, solar, and biomass. Speaking of the renewable energy sources, about 77% comes from wind. Regulated electric utilities and infrastructure account for 85% of Duke's earnings. Their customers are 34% residential, 30% commercial, 20% industrial, and then 16% of their customers buy their energy wholesale from Duke. The wholesale market is about the buying and selling of energy between the companies that generate it and others who resell it. Resellers will generally buy electricity through markets or through contracts between individual buyers or sellers. So Duke has three reportable business segments. 
Number one is electric utilities and infrastructure. Number two is gas utilities and infrastructure. And number three is commercial renewables. They own a variety of energy entities, including Synergy, Progress, and a bunch that are branded Duke. Utilities are often great for conservative dividend investors that don't like a lot of risk. And because of that, they generally have higher starting yields, but lower dividend growth. I like to see them in a balanced DJI portfolio. As I like to say, utilities are the bonds of my portfolio. Of course, they are riskier than bonds, as we saw with PG&E's recent bankruptcy. Energy is something that everyone needs, and utilities really don't have direct competition in their markets. Everyone needs energy. You know who made the real money during the gold rush? It wasn't the average gold miner. It was the guy who was selling the pickaxes and the supplies to the gold miner. Think about it. Your Tesla that you are operating needs to get charged up. Who charges it? It's companies like Duke. As more people transition to electric vehicles, that will just mean we will need more energy being generated from lovely utility companies like the ones I invest in. Okay, let's check out who the largest institutional holders of Duke are. We see that Vanguard is number one with about 61 million shares worth about 5.9 billion, which is 8.4% of outstanding shares. The largest insider I found was Lynn Good, who was their chairman and CEO. She has about 176,000 shares worth about $16 million. That means her shares could drip $667,000 per year. That is a lot of light bulbs. Okay, let's look at who some of the big utility companies are out there in the US using Fortune's rankings. So based on revenues, we see Exelon on top at $36 billion, followed by Duke at $24.1 billion, then Southern around $23.5 billion, PG&E at $16.8 billion, and then Nextera Energy around $16.7 billion. If you watch my Southern Company video, you will see that I already covered Exelon. PG&E would be my next biggest, but after the bankruptcy, they don't seem as relevant. So let's use an awesome company, Nextera Energy, to compare Duke against in this deep analysis. Nextera Energy, ticker NEE, is a $118 billion market cap, $19 billion revenue, Fortune 200 energy company with about 46,000 megawatts of generating capacity, which has 14,000 employees and operates in the U.S. and Canada. Its subsidiaries include Florida Power & Light, Nextera Energy Resources, Nextera Energy Partners, Gulf Power Company, and Nextera Energy Services. They're the world's largest generator of renewable energy from the wind and sun. They also own and operate plants powered by natural gas, oil, and nuclear energy. Speaking of nuclear, Duke Energy owns, wholly or partially, 11 operating nuclear reactors located at six operating stations. If you want to learn more in depth about how utilities operate, then I recommend you watch my Southern Company video. But to briefly summarize it, most regions have public utility commissions, or PUCs, which make and enforce rules about what energy rates should be. The PUC takes the utility's fixed costs, multiplies it by an allowed return rate, and then adds expenses to determine how much the utility is allowed to make, which lets them figure out how much they can charge. So that surprised me, and because of that, utilities don't really make more or less money if the price of gas goes up or down. Utilities buy electricity and natural gas from suppliers, and they pass that cost directly to consumers. So this surprised me too that they don't actually make more money if you use more gas. Or to put it another way, utilities pass on the cost of generating electricity to their customers without any markup. If it costs them $100 to deliver the electricity to you, then you pay $100. So how do they make more money then? Well, they make money in two ways which also surprise me. The number one way they can make money is if they build new things like gas lines and power plants to deliver energy to their customers, then they're allowed to collect a return on those investments. So they earn a profit on the infrastructure they build, which is fascinating to me that they earn money as they spend it. 
The reason behind this is because utilities are state-protected monopolies, so we can't have them profiting off their main product, which is energy, but we can incentivize them to improve their infrastructure. The number two way they make more money is when you use less energy and get it more efficiently. Utilities actually like it if you use less electricity, because they have no incentives for you to use it more. If you use less, then you tax the grid less. So this is why it's such a stable business. They don't really have competitors, they make money almost regardless of what's going on, and they operate in the customer's best interests. Of course, as they gain more customers, that helps them as well. So I found it useful to analyze the geographic regions that a company operates in and compare that to population growth as an input to help identify growth potential. Electric utilities and infrastructure businesses operate as the sole supplier of electricity within their service territories. Competition in regulated electric distribution business is primarily from the development and deployment of alternative energy sources, including on-site generation from industrial customers and distributed generation, such as through people using their own solar products. Neither Duke nor Nextera are big enough to rank on the Fortune Global 500 list, but watch my Ligon and Platt video if you want to hear some fascinating facts about the top 10 companies in the world. Okay, now that we understand the industry, let's jump into a brief history of Duke. So what do you think of when I say Duke Energy? Maybe a better question is, who do you think of? Well, no doubt some people think of James Duke, the man Duke Energy was named after. Well, there's someone else I think of as well, and that's Dr. Walker Gill Wiley. In 1849, Walker Wiley was born in South Carolina. He was a brilliant man, and after the Civil War, he decided to attend the University of South Carolina, where he took literally every single course in every subject that they offered. That's amazing. I didn't even like to attend classes in my major. He decided to get a degree in civil engineering. Oh, and then, because goals, he got a medical degree too. He also started a nursing college for women. I started a diet recently, so pretty much that's a big accomplishment for me too. He was well known as a prolific surgeon, and at the same time he was researching the concept of hydroelectric power, i.e. generating electricity from water. I've been researching information on the prequel to Game of Thrones, so as you can see, Dr. Wiley and I both researched important information to better mankind. Now Wiley partnered with a wealthy investor named James Duke, as well as with some others, to start a power company. They ended up building a system of lakes and dams along the Catawba River to generate electricity, which ended up acting as a massive catalyst of economic growth in the region. Wiley and Duke continued to grow their business with various other companies they established, and in 1927, most of their subsidiary companies were merged to form Duke Power. Let's fast forward to 1997 and Duke Power merged with Pan Energy, a natural gas company, to form Duke Energy. Good old Dr. Wiley was inducted into the South Carolina Hall of Fame for his accomplishments. Okay, now before we jump into business strategies, I wanted to elaborate on my opening question asking if you knew that the Mars rover was powered by nuclear power. When NASA first got to Mars, their autonomous rover vehicle, which is about as big as a large car, was powered by solar energy. But that didn't work out so well because of the dust buildup on solar panels, as well as due to short winter days with little sunlight. So what did our scientists do? Well, they built the MMRTP, which is the Multi-Mission Radioisotope Thermoelectric Generator that builds heat by decaying plutonium dioxide, which allows it to run for about one Martian year, which is around two Earth years. Damn, I'd still be in my 20s if I lived on Mars. For those of you who didn't get your PhD in astrophysics and aren't the biggest nerds in the world, the Mars Curiosity rover is basically a huge science lab on wheels, equipped with state-of-the-art instruments which gather Martian ground samples and then analyze their chemical makeup in search for signs of life. This equipment needs a lot of power to operate and needs to be at certain temperatures to not freeze, 
because a cold day on Mars is around a minus 195 degrees Fahrenheit, which is minus 125 degrees Celsius. So this onboard flux capacitor they built generates both heat and around 110 watts of steady electric power through an array of iridium capsules that hold the plutonium dioxide. These thermoelectric devices convert heat into electricity all without any moving parts and can operate for years. Okay, now with that little Neil deGrasse Tyson lesson being over, let's move on to look at some of their current business strategies. In 2017, Duke Energy unveiled a 10-year vision to build a smarter, more resilient energy grid, generate cleaner energy, and expand the company's natural gas infrastructure. This strategy ensures customers have access to safe, reliable, and clean energy while strengthening the company's environmental stewardship. Since 2005, the company has reduced carbon dioxide emissions by 31% and plans to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. In 2018, Duke Energy decided not to include new nuclear power in its long-range plans. They also have strategies to transform the customer experience through their use of customer data to better inform operational priorities and performance levels. This data-driven approach allows them to identify the investments that are the most important to the customer. They are also looking to modernize the energy grid and regulatory construct. This modernization of the electric grid will include smart meters, storm hardening, self-healing, and targeted undergrounding, amongst others. Undergrounding is the process of building electric infrastructure, such as electrical distribution lines and other electrical facilities, underground with other infrastructure, such as gas pipelines or communication lines. Duke is also focused on generating cleaner energy. We see that their reliance on coal has decreased from 27.1% down to 24.4% from 2016 to 2018, that nuclear has decreased by about 1.5%, and then natural gas and oil have increased. Finally, they're engaging stakeholders to achieve great outcomes. So they're focusing on common processes and tools, best practice sharing, and improved alignment across their jurisdictions. Their external relations council, comprised of company leaders, provides oversight and coordination of stakeholder interactions at the national, state, and local levels to help achieve the outcomes they are seeking. Beyond these strategies, Duke is also focused on enhancing their energy storage, which can help expand the development of renewables and helps enable their strategic goal of a more modernized energy grid. Over the next 15 years, Duke has more than 400 megawatts of battery storage strategically planned, with new projects being put online and announced around the country. That's about 10 times more than they have today. Okay, let's jump into their financials. There are four key financial areas I like to understand when I'm analyzing business. And they are number one, is the company growing? Number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year? Number three, do they have too much debt? And number four, how's their profitability? I could combine number two and three, but I look at them slightly differently, so I like to keep them separate. Let's start with number one. Now, there are six main things I like to review when answering the question, is a company growing? And they are number one, is revenue growing? Number two, are earnings growing? Number three, is equity growing? Number four, is cash flow growing? Number five, is the dividend growing? And number six, is the stock price growing? So let's start with number one of six. Let's look at the revenue growth history for both Duke and Nextera on Macrotrends.net, Guru Focus, Yahoo Finance, and Zacks. Duke's revenue for the 12 months ending September 30th of 2019 was 25.1 billion, a 3.7% increase year over year. Their 2020 forward estimate is 25.7 billion. Nextera's revenue for the 12 months ending September 30th, 2019 was 19 billion, a 16.4% increase year over year. Their 2020 estimate is for 20.1 billion. So I'm liking the gradual trends up for both companies. So what's moving Duke's revenue? Well, they had a $76 million increase due to higher natural gas costs passed through to customers as a result of higher volume sold 
driven primarily by weather and higher natural gas prices. They also had a $37 million increase due to residential and commercial customer revenue net of natural gas costs passed through to customers due to customer growth and rate adjustments and new power generation customers. The revenues were offset by a $69 million decrease primarily due to revenue subject to refunds to customers associated with the lower corporate taxes we now have. If we dive a bit deeper into revenue, we see that electric utilities and infrastructure is the lion's share of their overall revenue, followed by gas utilities and then renewables, just as it is for net income. Speaking of net income, let's jump into number two of six, our earnings growing. So let's look at Duke's net income trending over time and compare that to Nextera's. Duke Energy's net income for the 12 months ending September 30th, 2019 was 3.5 billion, a 20.9% increase year over year. Their 2020 estimate is 3.4 billion. Nextera Energy's net income for the 12 months ending September 30th, 2019 was 3.2 billion, a 61.6% decline year over year. Their 2020 estimate is for 9.04 billion. So earnings are a bit volatile for both of them. So what's moving earnings? While Duke had a $65 million increase in natural gas costs, primarily due to higher costs passed through to customers as a result of higher natural gas prices. They had a $38 million increase in operations, maintenance, and other expenses, primarily due to increased shared services, costs to achieve merger expenses, and a pension settlement charge, Piedmont, in 2017. And they had a $14 million increase in depreciation and amortization expense due to additional plant, in-service, and higher amortization of software costs. This was partially offset by a $25 million increase in non-service components of employee benefit costs in 2018. Now, just like almost all metrics, as I've previously said, there are nuances to net income, and it can mislead you, but I still like to review the trends. Okay, on to number three of six, is equity growing? Here we see that both Duke and Nextera have been increasing shareholders' equity over the last decade, which I like seeing. Duke Energy's shareholder equity for the quarter ending September 30th, 2019 was $47.4 billion, a 10.2% increase year-over-year. Nextera Energy's shareholder equity for the quarter ending September 30th, 2019 was $40.2 billion, a 7.6% increase year-over-year. Okay, let's move on. So number four of six is cash flow growing. To answer the question, is a company growing? Please watch my Southern Company video if you want to learn more about cash flow. Now, while I don't really feel free cash flow are the best metrics to use for a utility company, I do still like looking at the numbers. We can see that both of them have negative TTM. So should we be worried about that? While companies like Duke and Nextera sometimes can have negative free cash flow and yet are still able to run their business that way, that's because they have customers that really can't go anywhere that have to pay prices that are calculated to bring them the profits they ultimately need. So seeing some negative free cash flow doesn't bother me like it would in other industries. Okay, let's move on to number five of six, is the dividend growing? Here we see Duke on the left and Nextera on the right. So while the trend line for Duke doesn't look pretty, it has paid a quarterly cash dividend on its common stock for 93 consecutive years and increased its payout in each of the last 13 years. There's reasons why you see that bumpy trend line in the beginning. For example, in 2007, they did a spin-off into Duke Energy and Spectra Energy such that the sum of the dividends of the two standalone companies approximated the former total dividend of Duke Energy prior to the spin-off. So you can't jump to the conclusion that there was a cut just based on what you visually see. They also had some stock splits. In 2006, some changes were primarily attributable to issuance of approximately 300 million shares in connection with Duke Energy's merger with Synergy. We see that both Duke and Nextera's share prices have increased in the last 365 days. 
Duke's PE is about 19 compared to Nee's, which is a high 36. Duke's forward PE is about 18 compared to Nee's at a higher 27. We see that Duke's dividend is $3.71 per share compared to Nee's at $5 per share, both as of Q1 2019. Duke's three-year dividend cadre is a weak 3.9% compared to Nee's, which is an awesome 13%. Duke's five-year dividend cadre is a weak 3.4% compared to Nee's wonderful 10.9%. Duke's 10-year dividend cadre is at 2.8% compared to Nee's incredible 9.5%. But Duke's dividend yield is over 4% as compared to Nee's at slightly over 2% only. So Duke is a great way to get cash right now. Duke's 10-year estimated yield on cost is 5.75% as compared to Nee's at 6.14%. So if your time frame for using your moolah is 10 plus years, assuming trends hold, which is usually unlikely, then Nee might be worth considering more strongly than Duke. Duke gives you that solid dividend income right now, but then Nee gets compelling after 10 years from now. Part of the reason I believe Nextera is driving their dividend up so much is because of how far behind the utility yield curve they are and once they catch up, I bet they'll get in line with others in terms of future growth. So while I primarily focus on dividend growth, I also like to have some current yield in my portfolio. Okay, let's look at what's going on with shares outstanding. Duke Energy shares outstanding for the quarter ending September 30th, 2019 were 0.73 billion, a 2.1% increase year over year. Nextera Energy shares outstanding for the quarter ending September 30th, 2019 were 490 million, a 1.8% increase year over year. So as is normal for utility companies, we see that their shares have been increasing. So I'm not worried like I might be if I was evaluating a tech company or something. Companies typically issue more shares when they need to raise capital through equity financing or for reasons such as acquisitions and mergers or internal reasons like exercising employee stock options and such. Utility companies do large capital intensive projects, as I've discussed, and issuing shares are a common way for utilities to move forward. Finally, number six of six, is the stock price growing to help us answer the question, is a company growing? Let's look at the total returns of Duke compared to Nee and to the S&P 500 using Dividend Channel's Total Returns Drip Calculator. This models what would have happened if you invested $10,000 around 24 years ago. We see that your 10,000 would have turned into about 79,000 for Duke, a 688% return. Your $10,000 would have turned into 87,000 for SPY, a nice 769% return. And then Nextera blows them both out of the water with your 10K going to $296,000, a 2,862% return. I told you it was awesome. Okay, let's move on to number two. Can the company cover what it owes in the next year? Which is asking if they can cover its short-term debt obligations. I'd like to use the current ratio to determine that. It is important to compare ratios in the same industry due to fluctuations in what is normal. A ratio higher than one indicates that a company will have a high chance of being able to pay off its shorter term debt, whereas a ratio of less than one indicates that a company may not be able to pay off its shorter term debt. So the higher the ratio, the more liquid the company is. I like to see ratios between 1.5 and 3%. So here we see Duke's current ratio is a 0.72 compared to the industry median 1.04, which ranks it lower than 74% of their industry. Nextera's current ratio is 0.58 compared to the industry median of 1.04, which ranks them lower than 82% of their industry. So they're both under the industry medians, but not at points I'm seriously concerned about. The number three next main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is if it is taken on too much debt using the debt to equity ratio. Remember, debt to equity is total liabilities divided by total equity. If the ratio is greater than one, the majority of assets are financed through debt. 
If it is smaller than one, assets are primarily financed through equity. I'd like to see between 1 to 1.5. A high debt to equity ratio is often associated with high risk as it often means a business is pushing for fast growth with debt. That being said, the appropriate debt to equity ratio varies depending on the industry because some industries use more debt financing than others. Capital intensive industries, like utilities, can have higher ratios. We see that Duke's debt to equity is 1.24 compared to the industry median 0.88, which puts them ranked lower than 70% of the industry. Nextera's debt to equity is 0.9 compared to the industry median 0.88, which ranks them lower than 61% of the industry. So not great, but nothing I'm disconcerted about. Okay, let's see if we think they can cover their interest payments. So let's see if EBIT is at a reasonable level. Duke's EBIT for the 12 months ending September 30th, 2019 was 5.47 billion, an 8.9% increase year over year. Next year's EBIT for the 12 months ending September 30th, 2019 was 5.6 billion, a 66.3% increase year over year. I normally like to see EBIT greater than or equal to three times net interest. Looking at Duke's income statement, we find that their trailing 12-month interest is at 2.2 billion, so they aren't quite at a coverage level I'd like to see. Looking at Nextera's income statement, we find that their trailing 12-month interest is at 2.7 billion, so they are also not quite at a level I'd like to see, generally speaking. But for utilities, I'm not too worried. Okay, the number four final main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is to understand their profitability. Now, I could include net income in this section, or I could move some of these into my is a company growing section, but I like to separate them. So let's look at return on equity, or their earnings power. Normally I expect to see 10 to 15% to cover the cost of capital and make money for shareholders, but the more the better. So RRE tells us how much profit a company makes for every dollar it has in shareholder equity. Here we see that Duke's ROA is 7.7%, which is lower than the industry median of 8.45%, which ranks them lower than 55% of their industry. Nextera is at an 8.4% versus an industry median of 8.45%, so basically the same, which ranks them higher than 56% of the industry. Please watch my AVI video if you want a more detailed explanation of ROE, which goes into some of its nuances. So ROE is the income that is being generated as a percentage of shareholders' equity, also known as book value. Another metric worth evaluating is return on invested capital, but I'll leave that exercise to you. Okay, let's look at return on assets, ROA, as a measure of profitability. ROA will tell us how efficiently a company is squeezing profit from their assets. Return on assets is a measure of how well a company takes all of the money it has and uses that to make more money. It's a metric which is used to calculate management's effectiveness to understand how much profit a company earns for every dollar of its assets. ROAs over 5% are generally what I look for. The higher the ROA, the higher the asset efficiency. Here we see that Duke's ROA is 2.32% compared to Nee's 2.94% and the industry median of 3.11%. So Duke is ranked lower than 61% of the companies and Nee's ranked lower than 51%. So both are relatively in line with the industry. Okay, the next profitability metric we'll look at is net margin. I like the net profit margin because it's a decent metric in just a single figure to gauge how effectively management is running the business. Net profit margins vary depending on the type of industry you're in. Watch my previous videos for more details. Solid net profit margins can mean a stronger company that is able to survive hard times. So here we see Duke's net margin is 13.99% versus an industry net margin of 7.24%, which ranks it higher than 72% of the industry. Needs net margin is 16.91% versus an industry net margin of 7.24%, which ranks them higher than 79% of the industry. So both are doing well here with knee edging out Duke. 
Okay, let's look at one final profitability measure, which is earnings per share, or EPS. EPS is a company's profit divided by the number of common shares outstanding. EPS shows how much money a company makes for each share of its stock. A higher EPS often means that people will pay more for a company due to their higher profits. Sometimes people like to utilize diluted EPS rather than basic EPS in their analysis. Duke Energy's EPS for the 12 months ending September 30th, 2019 was $4.84, an 18.1% increase year over year. Nextera Energy's basic EPS for the 12 months ending September 30th, 2019 was $6.66, a 62.6% .6 decline year over year. So both have slowly increasing trend lines as I like to see. Okay, let's move from their financials to their community involvement, charitable giving, and to their environmental, social, and governance work. Let's look at some of Duke's accolades, which I pulled from Duke's site. Now, for the 13th consecutive year, Duke Energy was named the Dow Jones Sustainability Index for North America. Duke Energy was named to Fortune Magazine's 2019's World Most Admired Companies list for the second year in a row. Forbes Magazine named Duke Energy as one of America's best employers making the 2018 and 2019 list for U.S. electric utilities. Duke Energy received the Edison Electric Institute's Emergency Recovery Award for the company's power restoration efforts after Hurricane Florence hit North Carolina and South Carolina in September of 2018. Black Enterprise Magazine named Duke Energy its 2018 50 Best Companies for Diversity. Duke Energy received the 2018 Secretary of Defense Employer Support Freedom Award the highest honor the U.S. Department of Defense gives to companies for their outstanding support for employees who serve in the National Guard and Reserve. The NAACP named Duke Energy an inaugural member of its Equity, Inclusion, and Empowerment Index, identifying Duke Energy as a corporate leader in fostering an equitable, just, and inclusive workplace. Duke Energy was named to the Human Rights Campaign 2019 Best Place to Work for LGBTQ Equality list with a perfect score of 100% in its Corporate Equality Index. For the 14th consecutive year, Duke Energy has been named to Site Selections Magazine's annual list of top utilities in economic development. They are also a company that donates heavily to charities and promotes volunteerism amongst its staff. Via the Duke Energy in Action program, its employees and retirees contributed $9.5 million in 2018 and volunteered 126,000 hours. Awesome. Okay, let's move to the executive team. The average tenure amongst their most senior execs averages over 18 years, which is amazing. Their chairman, president, and CEO is Lynn Good for the last seven years. She previously was their CFO and began her career in a company Duke acquired. Fortune magazine lists Good as 19th among the most powerful women in business, and Forbes magazine calls her one of the world's 100 most powerful women. Under Good's leadership, Duke Energy is embracing new technologies and smarter solutions to transform for the future. She serves on a variety of boards, including Boeing, amongst others. I really appreciate them having a female CEO, which is a rarity amongst the Fortune 500. Okay, one way we can assess the CEO is on how their stock has done since they have taken office. Here we see Duke in black, Spy in purple, and Nextera in blue. What we see is that Duke has underperformed relative to Spy, and both have underperformed relative to Nextera, which shines brightly. Okay, let's jump into concerns and risks. Like all companies, there are a variety of potential risks one should consider when investing. Duke has risks around their contribution towards pollution that could be negative for them and others. They have risks around running their plants, such as potential nuclear-related issues. Utilities often don't do well when interest rates and or inflation is going up. Inflation impacts the value of the rate base which utilities use to calculate their returns. 
Lower rates should help decrease Duke's cost of debt, as well as make refinancing easier. So the trend we've been on lately is good for Duke. Another risk comes from catastrophic events such as fires, earthquakes, explosions, flood, tornadoes, and the like. Per their 10K, revenues and costs are influenced by seasonal weather patterns. Peak sales of electricity occur during the summer and winter months, which results in higher revenue and cash flows during these periods. By contrast, lower sales of electricity occur during the spring and fall, allowing for scheduled plant maintenance. Residential and general service customers are more impacted by weather than industrial customers. That being said, their 10K said that gas, utilities, and infrastructure revenues are generally protected from the impact of weather fluctuations due to the regulatory mechanisms that are available at most service territories. In North Carolina, margin decoupling provides protection from both weather and other usage variations, like conservation for residential and commercial customers. Margin decoupling provides a set revenue per customer, independent of actual usage. Or to put that another way, they keep making money whether the weather is good or bad, seemingly regardless of how much customers use or don't use. How can I not invest in them? Of course their own equipment can cause issues, as we saw what happened with the massive PG&E fires in California and their ensuing bankruptcy. The changing regulatory environment is a risk, as regulations can be costly to comply with. Deregulations of their core business model would also impact them. They are also responsible for maintaining a pension system, which has its own inherent financial risks. It is important that Duke's credit rating remains strong to ensure they have access to capital markets to continue to fund their growth. So a risk would be if something happens to damage their credit rating. A credit rating, often expressed as a letter grade, conveys the creditworthiness of a business or government. Technology risks, intrusions, and similar information technology failures could impact their bottom lines, as well as people's lives. Litigation can always pose a risk for companies. Finally, there's a risk that during a recession that authorities could make them lower their rates. So big question, is it worth buying at today's price? Please watch my 3M video if you're interested in learning more about how you can value a business and more details about how you can use discounted cash flow to estimate how much a stock or business is worth paying for. For brevity's sake, I'm just going to use a DCF calculator on Guru Focus, which is a quick way to estimate rather than the better way of calculating it yourself. So let's see what it estimates for Duke and Nextera. So we see that it finds Duke's DCF fair value at $51.26 versus Duke's stock price of $91.21 which is a minus 77.9% margin of safety. It finds the Nextera's DCF fair value at $108.32 versus its stock price of $242.16, which is a massive minus 123.5% margin of safety. So if you were just using these calculators, you would say that Duke is a better value, but both are too pricey. And remember, you can go to the calculator and change the default assumptions to see how the fair value is impacted. Okay, let's take a look at their PEs. Watch my previous videos to learn some nuance about PEs and what I expect to see in different industries. So we see that Duke's PE is at 18.9 versus an industry median 16.66, which ranks it lower than 57% of the industry, making it about average. Its forward PE is 17.6. Next year's PE is 35.4 versus an industry median 16.66, which ranks them lower than 88% of their industry. Their forward PE is 26.8. So Duke looks more compelling than Nextera, which looks quite spendy. Remember that the average PE across the S&P 500 is around a 22 right now. For utilities, I get more excited when they're in the 8 to 13 range. Watch my AbbVie video if you want to learn more about the S&P 500 PE ratios. 
Okay, another final trend that you might want to look at is how their dividend yield has trended over time as an input into your buying decisions. Here are the last 10 years of dividend yield trends for Duke and Nextera. Duke has a nice 4.14% yield and Nees is a weak 2.06%. Remember, yield is their annual dividend that they pay out divided by share price. So if this line is flat, then it's one indicator that its relative value has stayed flat when looking at this metric in isolation. If the line trends downhill, then it probably indicates that it's getting pricier. And if it trends up, then it indicates that it is potentially becoming more of a value play worth considering. It will have a tendency to trend up if they increase their annual dividend payout or if the share price goes down. It will trend down if the share price goes up relative to the dividend payout. So the ideal is to buy when the yield's high and then see the trend line go down because its share price is going up after you buy it. Of course, if the share price goes down, then your drip can buy more shares. So between the share price and annual dividend changes, the relative value of Duke has been staying fairly constant with a slight downward slope. And it looks like next year has been getting a lot pricier relative to value. Let's look at what analysts at MarketBeat say about Duke and Nextera. So they have a consensus rating today of a hold for Duke and a consensus rating six months ago of hold. Share price today is at $90.34 for Duke and they have a consensus price target of $93.70, which is a 2.73% upside from where we are today. For Nextera, they have a consensus rating today of a buy versus a consensus rating six months ago of a buy. And the share price today is at $238.60 with a consensus price target of $234.17, which actually puts it at a 0.21% downside. So here we see the professionals believe that there is a marginal upside for Duke and a marginal downside for Nextera. Now let's look at insider trading. See a variety of transactions by their officers and directors. Nothing jumps out as disconcerting or immaterial to me, but I'm not looking over broad timeframes, which if you're concerned about, you should do. Different management cultures advocate for different strategies. Some CEOs want their execs not to sell, others don't care as much. I'd like for execs to hold more, but I understand why they sell and diversify to minimize having most of their eggs in one basket. Please watch my Southern Company video if you want to learn more about how to read a form for dealing with insider trading. So when did I buy Duke and what price would I want to see it again before I might be compelled to add more to my position? And as always, don't take any of this as financial advice. Duke was a company I used to own. Then I got out of it for a reason I'll go into in a future video, and then I got back into it in December of 2018 at $87. Not a good price, but I wanted some relatively safe income to balance out my portfolio, and I wanted solid cash generation now rather than 10 years from now. So for now I'm content to just grow my position naturally from a drip. I'd probably add more at a lower level, like in the 70s somewhere. That being said, Duke is an awesome utility with a great reputation that spans back over 100 years. So what do you think? Are you a bull or a bear on Duke? Are you going to buy, sell, or hold, or keep looking? Now let's jump into my portfolio. So here we are in a copy of my portfolio where I'm listing 20 of the 25 stocks. And here we have utilities with Duke and Southern Company aggregated together. So that represents currently 15.3%. And then we'll go clockwise here. We have communication services with AT&T representing 8.6%. And then we have O, Realty Income, at 8.6%. Right here we have Consumer Staples Food Beverages with Coke at 8.4%. And then Consumer Discretionary, which is McDonald's, Starbucks, Home Depot, and Disney at 13.8%. Followed by Consumer Staples Household, which is Kimberly Clark and Colgate Palmolive at 11.2%. 
and then this slice right here represents energy in Chevron and ExxonMobil at 7.6%. This right here is healthcare with AbbVie and Pfizer at 5.8%. And then this is financials, which is Goldman Sachs and Travelers at 4.5%. And finally, we have this pie right here is industrials with 3M, Leggett, and Caterpillar at 16.3%. And then because 3M has been shooting up lately, it's on top right now, but this right here represents Duke. I have 1,041.9 shares and it's red because it was down on the day I filmed this at the end of the day. In the last 365 days, it has gone up, which is why this is green. Current PE is about 18.67, forward PE 17.3, DDM gave 30.92 with a with an aggressive 12% uh, return and a 33% margin of safety. We see the annual dividend is $3.78 for Duke and the payout date is going to be March 16th. And then dividend yields about 4.2% right now, which is excellent. Three-year dividend cadre at 3.9%, five-year dividend cadre at 3.4%, and the 10-year dividend cadre at 2.8%. Manually, I calculated the five-year dividend cadre at 3.52%. So the portfolio's average weighted five-year dividend cadre is now a 7.23%. And the average weighted dividend yield or the portfolio starting yield is 3.52%. I have $94,126 of Duke, and that brings the portfolio value up to $1,059,040. And Duke drips $3,938 a year, which brings the annual passive income for these 20 stocks to $37,268 a year. Payout ratio is about 76%. They've got over 90 years of dividend data and 13 of those most recent years have been consecutively increasing. We see that the portfolio's average weighted years of increasing dividends is now about 35 years. And we see the beta on Duke is super low at 0.05. So the portfolio's average weighted beta is only 0.62. Market cap 66 billion, and the portfolio's average weighted market cap is 130.65 billion. All right, let's jump into the dividends. I edited out my count numbers as well as any dividends I've received from stocks I've not yet revealed. So I hold Goldman Sachs and Travelers in tax sheltered accounts. Let's start with the Goldman Sachs dividend check I just received. Since I've turned on my drip for Goldman Sachs, it bought another 0.6 shares of itself, taking me from about 111 shares to 111.6 shares. So this quarterly dividend payout just increased my annual passive income by about $3 a year. Assuming they don't increase their dividend, then this would mean that just by holding Goldman Sachs in my accounts, my annual passive income would increase by about $12 a year. But it'll be higher than that since the compound's quarterly and because I believe they'll increase it. Now let's look at the Traveler's dividend check I just received. Since I've turned on my drip for Traveler's, it bought another 0.9 shares of itself, taking me from about 150.65 shares to 151.55 shares. 
So this quarterly dividend payout just increased my annual passive income by about $2.95 a year. Assuming they don't increase their dividend, then this would mean that just by holding travelers in my accounts, my annual passive income will increase by about $11.80 a year. But it should be higher than that since it compounds quarterly and because I believe they'll increase it. So from these two companies, my overall annual estimated passive income just got increased by about $23.80 a year. Let's see how this looks in the spreadsheet. Here we are looking at a copy of my December dividends I've received and I've blacked out some of the stocks that I haven't revealed yet. And I've highlighted the two dividend checks, one for Goldman Sachs for $139.50 and the one for Travelers for $123.53. And these are the other ones I've received throughout December. So for the stocks I've revealed for December, I received $4,034.28 for dividend checks. Finally, if you learned anything or enjoyed this video, then please don't forget to hit the thumbs up button and leave a comment, including your partner number, as a simple way to thank me for making this free deep analysis video of utility company Duke Energy. Adding your partner number to your comment helps me be able to then do shoutouts and visual acknowledgements of my subscribers who've watched and commented on most of my videos. With this Duke Energy video, I'm hashtag partner27 because I've watched all my videos from start to end, as well as have left a comment. Thanks, and I'll see you in my next video. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I'm only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments. Don't use this information without double checking it and talking to someone a lot smarter than me after you completely understand it. So I'll see you in the next video and remember to stay positive, patient, play for the long term, keep investing in great companies, budget reasonably, and win. I know you can do it. Just like I know you can hit the subscribe, like, and bell icons, share this video with others, and comment below.